Today on Industry Matters, we welcome our payer relations experts, Rhonda Burmester and Craig Douglas. Rhonda and Craig will discuss COVID-19 hot topics, address some frequently asked questions we are getting from our members, and provide the most recent updates we have. Don't forget to continually check vgm.com slash coronavirus for all the latest information. Thank you, Lindy. There are several topics that we wanted to discuss today with our members, and several of them are related to the reimbursement world as far as what we want to share, and there'll be a few other things. But what I wanted to start with was on telehealth visits and how that relates for DME suppliers, because we were are scrutinized, I guess, in the past to not welcome telehealth just because of the rules and the regulation that go around it. With this COVID-19 environment, there has been expansion on that telehealth. And even with that, we're still getting questioned on what that means to DME suppliers. As we know, when information comes out from CMS, it isn't always clarified if that relates to DME. So I'm glad that our suppliers, our members, are reaching out to us to ask these questions, that they're staying on alert. While the medical directors at both CGS and Noridian, now I'm talking Medicare fee-for-service, they are still seeking clarification and instruction from CMS, so they don't know what that means for them directly. Where we stand at it with VGM is, we had a, a few of us discuss it last week, is telehealth will be acceptable for DME. It will replace that face-to-face encounter that was supposed to be in person during this expansion. But we want to make sure that suppliers are using it properly as well. So it's making sure we're following that coverage criteria outlined in the policies that, let's say it's any DME item, you know, a wheelchair, a hospital bed, that a doctor is ordering, making sure that the coverage guidelines are still met. So we still want to be cautious with that with suppliers. Um, But yes, it will replace that in-person visit on a Medicare fee-for-service level to do this telehealth visit. That's for new referrals, for repairs, and to meet continued medical need. I know in the commercial payer world, there's a question on that as well, and I'll let Craig speak on that as far as how telehealth affects those patients that aren't a commercial payer. Yeah, thanks, Rhonda. Typically with commercial payers, when we see things come out from Medicare, uh, commercial payers have the option to adopt or not adopt those guidelines. What we'd like to see is is a mandate. I know with some of these other coronavirus-related things that have come out from the government and from Medicare, it's a mandate that commercial plans adopt, and, and hopefully we'll see that mandate come across on any of the telehealth requirements as well. So we don't have to seek input from each individual commercial plan. We'll just know that because this is out there, they are required to adopt it and allow providers to use that telehealth option when it's necessary. Perfect. And for all of you listening, we will keep you updated on our website. Um, There is a reimbursement FAQ that is available amongst other resources. So make sure you stay in tune to our vgm.com website. I wanted to go into the proof of delivery requirements. Obviously, that's a hot topic because as DME suppliers, we are in the home delivering products directly to the patient, so we are on that front line. With this universal precaution measures that are in place, what does that mean for signing delivery tickets or signing anything electronically for that matter? This is where you want to just think about what items can be shipped to that patient versus what items need to be direct delivery. 
We have examples on our reimbursement FAQ, but a lot of your supply items you can ship using a shipping service. So you want to follow the guidelines for those that proof of delivery. As far as going directly into the home, let's say it's oxygen equipment, hospital bed, you obviously have to do that directly in the home. You know, you want to have discussions with the patient and their family before you even leave your, your company, your store, to say, hey, we're going to come in the home and these are the expectations. We're going to be in our gown, gloves, a mask, or whatever you're using for your universal precautions. So they, they know that it's you. And then um, say, tell them you're going to do this with the equipment, whether it's a bed or oxygen, you know, set it up for them so you know it's functioning properly and then providing education to them so they understand how to use it. If it's oxygen, you know, you don't need to put that nasal cannula on that patient. Keep that distance from them. Have the patient do it themselves or if they can't have their caregiver or their spouse do the nasal cannula. Same with the CPAP mask or a mask for a patient that's on a ventilator. If you can keep the distance, then do so and instruct that whoever's present to help you with that process. If they don't have anybody to help, then obviously use your best judgment in using those universal precaution measures to apply the mask or cannula. If you need to get a delivery ticket signed, if you're in the home, obviously it's best uh, practice to do that. CMS has come out with language. They did it late Friday. It was actually after the webinars that we did on Friday. Um, They came out with some language because the delivery services like UPS and FedEx are temporarily putting a ban on getting signatures. So what CMS came out with, and this will be on our FAQ as well, um, and you see that on our website, is it says CMS is currently reviewing signature guidelines that have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. At this time, suppliers should do their best to obtain a proof of delivery and notate the file with the beneficiary refusing to sign, or if it's FedEx or UPS, their refusal to sign or get a signature. So keep that that information on hand and in the patient's file. You should continue providing the necessary supplies and document the medical record to the best of your ability. So as you can see, they want you to keep a track of what you're doing um, with the proof of delivery to prove that the patient actually got the product. So that's what CMS has as of Friday afternoon. With that, we'll go to our next hot topic is in the oxygen testing world with the IDTFs and getting patients tested for oxygen. We know, uh, we already discussed telehealth visits are accepted um, for the to replace that in-person visit that was or is required for DME. The next question is, how do I get my oxygen pa- patient tested um, when they can't get in to see their doctor? And we know you can use IDTFs, which is that um, instant diagnostic testing facility that is um, acceptable for testing patients during their sleep. So you all are familiar with that using an overnight oximeter that is tamper-proof and it goes through the IDTF. We are seeking to get some relief as far as using the IDTF in the home so that we know you as a DME supplier can deliver the IDTF, the tamper-proof oximeter, and getting that patient tested and then it still goes through that lab. Um, that's It's not um, it been instructed as far as being acceptable, but we are working on it from a Medicare level, and I'm, I know from a commercial payer level that, that hopefully that will fall suit with them as well. So stay tuned for more information with, with that to come from, from uh, whether it's VGM or A-Home Care or whoever the folks that are out there that are getting information on it. So make sure you stay tuned to that. So I'm going to pass this off to Craig. I know he has information he wants to share because um, he likes to talk too, just like I do. I don't talk nearly <laughs> as much as you do, Rhonda, but 
Yes, I do have a couple of updates. One of the things, one of the common questions that we're getting right now is whether or not durable medical equipment providers, Demipos providers, are considered essential business. There's this language out there that says even in a lockdown state, if you're an essential business, you can remain open and continue to conduct business. It doesn't really get into the specific types of businesses that are considered essential, but based on the information we have right now, uh, we can say with some certainty that, that DME suppliers, especially those that are providing respiratory items such as oxygen and ventilation, uh, would be considered essential and, and can certainly remain open. Uh, from a federal level, I think DME suppliers are considered essential. Um, we have several instances of DME supplier community reaching out to their local public health officials and being granted the, the ability to, to remain open and continue operations. I will say that it is important that you stay in touch with your local public health officials and authorities. Make sure they know what kind of business you're in and if there is something locally that they have decided regarding your ability to stay open to the public or continue operations on a, a limited level, maybe you can make deliveries but you can't have your storefront open. Those are things you should be reaching out and, and asking about with your local public health officials to make sure that that you have the ability to continue to operate your business and take care of your patient base. A couple of ideas that have been floated around there from some of the supplier community that we are involved with, employees of those providers who are still caring for patients, providing equipment, making deliveries, all of that stuff, they are either carrying their badge, uh, their, their employment badge, who they work for, with them so that if they are stopped or questioned by anybody as far as why they're out and about, they can show that badge. Uh, others are carrying letters from their employer that basically details you know, why they are out and about, what they're doing, things like that. And I think that has been approved locally in, in a couple of areas as well. The other thing, Rhonda, did you have anything to add to that? No, I didn't. Thank you. That's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I would like to highlight is last week, I think it was on the 15th of March, there was an act passed. It was basically the second stimulus package related to COVID-19 that was passed by the federal government. It was H.R. 6201, and it is called the Families first coronavirus response act we've put out some information about that particular act just a brief summary of of what it details and how it might impact some of our members our providers but basically the highlights of that bill are that it establishes a federal emergency paid leave benefits program for employers who have less than 500 employees so they are able to take extended paid leave due to this COVID-19 outbreak. And there are basically four qualifying situations. Either the employee has been diagnosed with coronavirus or COVID-19. They are the primary caregiver of someone who has been diagnosed. They are quarantined because they were potentially exposed to the virus. They were traveling to an area that, that maybe is a hot spot for it or the last qualifying reason is that they have a child at home who has been stuck at home because school and daycares are closed. So there are 
different levels of how much an employee is entitled to under that new act. You'll want to familiarize yourself with those. I have more information on that. You can certainly reach out to me if you have some questions about that. It also establishes requirements for providing diagnostic testing at no cost to consumers. So it requires both Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, and commercial health plans to cover the, the costs associated with coronavirus testing and treatment at no cost to the consumer. It treats personal respiratory protective devices or PPE as covered countermeasures that are eligible for certain liability protections. It also, and this might impact a good chunk of our supplier community, it temporarily increases the federal medical assistance percentage or FMAP that states receive from the federal government. So the Medicaid programs are gonna be receiving additional funding from the federal government. I believe the percentage of that is around 6%. So a 6% increase to the amount of federal dollars that state Medicaid programs are receiving from the federal government. The last part of that bill, while it requires employers who employ 500 or fewer employees to extend that paid medical leave, sick leave to those employees, there are some exemptions from that. Certain healthcare providers are exempted from that, specifically physicians, hospitals, that sort of thing. They are required to stay open. They cannot have their entire staff at home unavailable to treat patients. So healthcare providers are exempted from that. The question that I've received from a few of our suppliers, and I'm sure those questions will continue to come, is whether or not they as a DME or DEMIPO supplier are part of that exemption. Based on the information that we have right now, we can't say definitively whether a DME supplier would be considered exempt from that or not. The Secretary of Labor ultimately has the discretion to decide who is exempt and who is not. We have reached out to their office for clarification regarding DME suppliers specifically. As of right now, we do not have any of that clarification from them, but we are seeking that. Anything you want to add on that, Rhonda? Surprisingly, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I will add before we conclude here is that providers that are submitting for an application to become a Medicare provider, they are trying to expedite that process. So providers who have submitted applications on or after March 1st, when those applications are received, they are, their goal is to have those processed within seven days. All clean paper applications received on or after March 18th will be processed within 14 days. So if you are in the midst of an application with CMS, they are trying to get those processed quickly. There is talk of postponing any accreditation requirements, the background checks, things that go into that. Uh, they are relaxing some of those requirements to get providers enrolled as quickly as they can. Very good information. And one other thing I'll share on that is we've been getting a lot of questions about our, the store hours. As you know, it's a supplier standard. Um, it's actually the last one, the number 30, that a DME supplier has to be open for a minimum of 30 hours. As you know, during this COVID-19 de emergency declaration, you have to do what's best for you. So um, there is some relaxation with that as well. The NSC hasn't come out with an official answer yet, but they have said that if you have to close or limit your hours, 
just post a sign um, on your door to explain what's going on and then a phone number where your patients or referrals can reach you. So just follow those steps. You don't have to notify the NSC as to what you're doing with your store hours. Um, they understand. So do what's best for you and your employees. I want to add one other thing before we close out. We are doing a lunch bucket on Wednesday with the government team. So you have Mark Higley, John Gallagher, Craig, and myself that will be on a lunch bucket Wednesday at 11 a.m., so make sure you get registered for that. We'll be discussing more information on the COVID environment. As we learn more, we'll share it, so uh, tune in. And we also want to hear from you, so what challenges or issues that you're facing can be at any level, but we want to hear from you, so make sure you're reaching out to um, us here at BGM so that we can hear hear what's going on and see how we can help you. Thank you, Rhonda and Craig, for all of that great information today. Again, a reminder to check vgm.com slash coronavirus for all the latest information on COVID-19. We will continue to update as we have information available on the Industry Matters podcast as well as the website.